Hopefully this doesn't just ruin me. You're about to sing. There'll be explosions and gunshots. And... Okay, everybody ready? Okay. Standing in the rain After showgirls flopped He used to be the king But now he's not on top Heard the roar of the critics As they talked all their shit In director jail Verhoeven needed a hit Like Robocop And Total Recall And Basic Instinct Gonna show them all So he called on the troops And assembled a crew To make a sci-fi film Filled with gore and goo Like a Robocop And Total Recall That trusty Paul He's gonna show them all So he got Edward Neumeier To adapt a book about a bunch of soldiers killing bugs We're talking Starship Troopers with Casper Vandine We're talking Starship Troopers Don't forget Denise Richards too We're talking Starship Troopers All cinema possessed, oh yeah Welcome, everybody, to the Cinema Possessed Podcast. My name is Jack Bishop. And I'm Justin Nisham. And each week we take a close look at one film in our combined DVD and Blu-ray collections and discuss what it was about it that originally possessed us to want to possess it. We'll debate whether or not the film still holds that power over us today, and in the end, we'll decide once and for all if it deserves to keep its place on the shelf or be squashed like a damn dirty bug. How do you feel about bugs? I, you like bugs in general? I have no issue with them. Do you say that all-encompassing? Like, you don't have any issue? Mosquitoes. Everybody okay. hates mosquitoes. What about cockroaches? I don't mind them. You don't mind them? I don't mind them. You don't find them absolutely disgusting? They don't give me the eebie-jeebies. See, I'm not a bug guy. I'm like leaning a little more towards the any good bug is a dead bug. Wow. That's controversial. I understand that they have their purpose. Some of them do more than others. You know, in my county, we get fined if we have breeding grounds for mosquitoes on our property. And what does that mean? Like water filled standing, up or something? Standing water. Water. Just <laughs> water. I don't mind bees. I got to be honest, which a lot Those of people- are not bugs. What do you mean? Is bees it? are not bugs. I think bees qualify as a bug. They're an insect, but they're not bugs. A spider is a bug. And that's, but that's technically an arachnid. Yeah, but bees, bees have had a PR renaissance. They're back in business, baby. Unless they're killer bees. Killer bees. Or murder hornets. Murder hornets are not Those bees. Those need to they're fire their agents. Comparing a dog to a wolf. Speaking of, Justin, what movie are we talking about today? Today we're talking about a movie that I was far too young to see in theaters when it came out in 1997. Ooh. We're talking 
Paul Verhoeven's Starship Troopers, a.k.a. Melrose Space. In every age, there is a cause worth fighting for. But in the future, the greatest threat to our survival will not be man at all. Hey, kid, what's going on? It's war! We're going to war! Now, the youth of tomorrow must travel across the stars to defend our world. We are a generation commanded by fate to defend humankind. Everyone fights, no one quits. But they will face an enemy more devastating than any ever imagined. The bugs laid a trap for us, didn't they? TriStar Pictures takes you to the front lines of the next frontier. Kill them all! Starship Troopers. So you saw Starship Troopers in theaters when it came out? Yes, I can't prove it. I I was wanting to... You don't have the movie tickets still? I don't have the movie tickets. What? Well, here's what's complicated. I mean, the movie's rated R, right? So how did I get in? And I do think that having done some research on this movie... This movie is what started movie theaters to be way more serious about checking IDs for people coming into the theater. This movie, people were being warned about how violent this movie was. Yes. So I I did see a lot of rated R movies as a kid. And I think because we weren't a mainstream movie theater family, Mm -hmm. we only went to budget theaters. Like um, a dollar theater? Dollar theater, Second yeah. run kind of deal where it's not right when it comes out? Exactly. So my parents always were pinching those pennies for, you know, good reason. I'm shocked to hear this. Okay, I know I'm not supposed to butt in You can yet, butt in. But the whole time we've been doing this podcast, we've just been hearing about how your parents were like, you cannot see any movies. You used to have to army crawl to watch, like <laughs> yeah. peek behind your dad to see the things. Talking about when but it was yet, like. But yet now they're taking you to rated R movies? 10 years old. 10 years old. So at 10, mm-hmm. all bets are all off. All bets are This is after Things Jurassic. Changed. They took me to Jurassic Park in 90, 1994. Three, in the, three. Three, in, oh, I guess 94 for you. <laughs> in, the, in, the, <laughs> in the same theater, Buffalo Grove Dollar Theater. And I cried in the middle of the T-Rex scene. Happy had, tears or scared? No, I was terrified. It was Baby tears. It was, you know, when he's attacking the, the cars and trying to get at them through the glass, the sound was deafening. And so I had to, I started to cry. My parents took me out into the lobby and they said, do you want to go? Mm. And I said, no, bring me back. And so they brought me back to the theater and I sat through the rest of it and didn't cry. So, um... You know, the uh, so to when, answer when, your question, I think there's always been a weird line with my parents oh, about yeah. what constituted something that was appropriate and what was inappropriate. So, so when even you were at this army crawling, watching that dinosaur Carnosaur, movie, uh-huh. Carnosaur, yeah. what age was that? That, that was short, probably. That was like the year after Jurassic Park yeah. when that, well, probably two years after Jurassic Park when that came out on video. Yeah. Or when that, you would have rented it That on was video. for sure a VHS tape. Carna, how do you spell Carno? Carna. Carna. 93. Yes. Yeah, so so, so they, they really jumped on the back of, of. Yeah. So you were probably renting it in 94. Yeah. Maybe 95. So that same year seeing an R-rated movie in the theater. No, this no, was, no, no. this was 1997. Oh, 97. Yeah. And again, it's things like Pulp Fiction 
would have still been off limits at this point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But a um, a movie like this that's especially science fiction, my dad's all on board. So again, if he wants to see it, yeah, yeah, the the rules can bend. The a bit. rules can bend. You know, yeah, this predator, is predator things like that. Yeah. Interesting. I had a similar arc in terms of when I got to see a, a rated R movie. I believe the first rated R movie I got to go see in theaters was Eraser came out in 96. Mm-hmm. Remember that? It's not the first R-rated movie I'd ever seen, but it was the first R-rated movie I got to see in the theaters. And I was already an Arnold head. And I remember for Eraser, my dad uh, had a friend of his, a co-worker, go see the movie first and report back to him whether it was like going to be too disturbing or too intense. And, and his co-worker was like, you can bring Jack. He'll be fine. And in 1997, I saw my second one, which was um, Air Force One. This movie, on the other hand, was a no-go from my parents. How did they come to that conclusion? So here's the deal. Sometimes my parents would be vocally, you can't see a movie, but sometimes I just could feel the vibe. It, I would probably have said like, Starship Troopers, and them just going to going, no. You know, and then I knew. It's like I read the room and it was like, okay, that's one I can't see. Mm-hmm. That was what happened with this one. And I bet you, you mentioned that the theaters were a little bit stricter on this movie. This is the director of RoboCop. This right. is the director of Total Recall. Both are movies that had reputations for their excessive violence. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Basic Instinct. Mm-hmm. And then right before this movie, he's coming off of Showgirls, oh, yeah. which is an NC-17 film. Infamous. So when this movie is coming out and being promoted, there's no doubt about it that our parents probably heard, this is from the director of Showgirls. From and the all sadistic this. mind of Paul Verhoeven. <laughs> it's true. Paul Verhoeven is truly one of cinema's greatest perverts. <laughs> So I didn't actually see this until it came on video. That's a bummer. Knowing that I couldn't see it meant I knew it was very violent, meant it was enticing. Yeah. And it was an excitement to see it. So when I did finally get to rent it, which was by the time it came out on video, it wasn't really a big deal to rent. It was just something my parents weren't going to take me to see in the theaters. I remember when Titanic came out and everybody was making a big deal about the the breasts in Titanic. Mm -hmm. I was thinking... Saw it first in Starship Troopers, 1997. Mm. Yeah. I remember. Was Titanic rated R? No. No. Yeah. PG-13. That was what was shocking. That was when I learned you could do nudity mm-hmm. in a PG-13. Yeah. It, was, it had to know. be tasteful. I remember going to see As Good As It Gets with Jack Nicholson, Greg Kinnear, and Helen Hunt. And there's a sequence in which Greg Kinnear um, asks if he can draw Helen Hunt naked, and she agrees. And you see her take her shirt off from behind but you don't see anything maybe you get like a little bit of side boob but then you see the drawing which is a realistic pencil rendering of Helen Hunt's naked body and I remember thinking that was risque yeah you paused that yeah. yeah and I was like this is PG-13 that was PG-13 yeah wow he drew, but it's a drawing he drew nipple nipple vagina wow he drew it all baby uh-huh. that's a good movie I'd, re- I'd watch that I would rewatch that movie it's crazy to think about R-rated movies how intense the movie theaters used to be about it like as yeah. if you were getting carded to go to a bar like I remember trying to sneak into R-rated movies and being like at this time, nobody ever checks. Nobody ever checks. Mm-hmm. And then one of us would get carded and it'd be like, fuck. Yeah. The, the good thing do? about the dollar theater is so the ticket counter was outside. My dad would order the tickets. I would be behind him, kind of pretending like nobody could see me. Then we would go in and almost never there was somebody t- checking tickets, only someone at concessions. So once we had the tickets, we were set. Yeah. I think yeah. if you were with a parent too, they're not going to say shit to yeah. you. My sneak, my I have one sneaking into movie theater story, and it was I used to do it all the time. This was must have been in the year 1998. We went to go see The Avengers with Sean Connery and, mm-hmm. and Uma Thurman. Mm-hmm. 
This has nothing to do with Marvel's The Avengers. This is a complete, this is based off of a television show from the 60s. Right. It was a shitty ass movie. <laughs> right. Even as a little kid who was excited about seeing it, it bored the fucking shit out of me. And my friends, it was three of us. And so about midway through the movie, we were like, let's sneak out and go to a different one. So we snuck out and we walked down the hall to Halloween H2O. We went in and it was, I remember it was start. It was in the opening credits. So we basically got in there at the beginning of the movie. Within five, 10 minutes, we got scared and we were like, let's go to a different one. And so we left Halloween H2O and across the hall was Saving Private Ryan. Wow. And we were sort of like, should we do Saving Private Ryan? And no joke, the door opened and an old man, like very old man, hunched over, tucked in shirt, white hair, wrinkles, steps out and like leans against the wall and goes. And we were like, nope, (laughs) not going to go see Saving Private Ryan. And we eventually just went back to the Avengers Theater and just fucked around because there was nobody in there. So we just like started playing in the aisles and stuff. But we didn't even dare go into Saving Private Ryan. I bet people were coming out of the Avengers movie doing that too, but for different reasons. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I actually am like suddenly having a memory of doing it with Drew. uh, OG roommate. What we would do, buy one ticket, to one movie and then plan out the second movie we were going to go to mm-hmm. that was going to end right after the first movie and we would just sneak into that one. So we right. would do a double feature. Mm-hmm. So you're paying for one. Hey, that's the way to, I think that's the way to go. I will say back to the dollar theater thing. I was a snob even back then when it came to real theater versus dollar theater. I did not like the dollar theater, I have to say. Part of it was that our dollar theater in Little Rock was trash and there were you would go and the screen would be riddled with gummy bears that people had like licked and like threw at the screen and so i remember even as a kid being like this is a little grimy in here to me this magic is gone a little bit um and maybe it's just me and people get off on checking their amc stubs app and looking at what's playing but oh, I remember maybe. when the Sunday paper would come mm-hmm. and my dad would put it on the table oh, and dude. we would flip right to the arts and entertainment section. And it would have the pictures of like the movie posters. Arts and entertainment was my shit. Movie posters. I used to have stomach aches in mm-hmm. middle school and I would end up going to school and my stomach would start hurting and I would have to go to the nurse's office. And it was basically because I had to take a shit. Mm-hmm. And so my parents were like, here's what Wait, we're going to- Wait, but give context. You- you would not go to this bathroom. Yeah, yeah. School. Well, like a lot of people, I had a, like a, ph- a phobia, a fear of taking a dump at school. Mm-hmm. The locks never worked on the stalls. Plenty of kids wanted to come in and kick the kick the door open. Mm-hmm. Not a fun time. It wasn't until I became more confident in myself around like the eight, 10th grade, basically. Ninth, 10th grade is when I was sort of like, fuck it, I'm going to shit anywhere I want to. And I've mm-hmm. been living my life that way ever since. But in middle school, there was a real fear of it. And so my anxiety would kick in and then that would become a full-blown stomach ache. And then that would become a trip to the nurse's office to like beg the nurse to let me use her private bathroom, which was also sort of like secret uh, life hack. I would never have. Get a good relationship with the school nurse and they will let you take your number twos there. But basically, in order to solve this issue, my parents were like, wake up early every morning, drink a cup of coffee, (laughs) take the arts and entertainment section that you love so much from the Arkansas Democrat Gazette and go sit down on the toilet and get your stuff finished before you go to school. And that's what I did. And so every morning I read the arts and entertainment section. And essentially all I was ever really reading was if there were any reviews, like if it was Friday, I'd be reading the reviews. But if it was any other day of the week, I was basically just looking at the ads for the movies coming up. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And it was a, it was all I needed. It was great. I was scared too. And I was a little bit of a germaphobe. So I would, my routine would be to go, you know, ask for a hall pass, go to the bathroom. If there was a kid in the bathroom, I would beat them up. No, <laughs> no. I was getting beat up. I would leave the bathroom. For shitting in the bathroom. I would leave the bathroom and I would wait. I wouldn't even want them to see me yeah. going into the bathroom. No. You're and, setting yourself up for a trap. And then as soon as they left, I would run in. I, w- I would always put paper, oh, toilet yeah. paper down onto the seat, uh, take the dump as fast as I could, and barely even have time to wipe and just <laughs> get out of there. Terrifying. I, didn't want, you, I was like embarrassed too. People know it. Like, why course. do we have shame around? Poop? Oh, it's bad. Yeah. Because I it's think gross. it's, a, I think yeah. it's a, a class they should teach in school is You're anti. part of the problem, Corey. <laughs> Today, do y'all still lay down paper when you sit on a public toilet? 100%. I used to. I used to be a squatter, and then I saw all these things about how it's fucking up women's pelvic floors. Mm -hmm. So I don't do that anymore. A lot of times I'm just sitting now. Don't feel shame. I don't do that. Well, also, I I, I have seen stuff about how there's really not, it's not that germy. They've like done tests and, and stuff. I don't believe that. Yeah, it's hard to believe that. But, but when you're ger- germophobic, it's not about there literally being germs there or not. It's what makes you feel comfortable. Sure, with sure. So the paper, yeah. the paper tissues give you the feeling of safety. safety. To yeah. me, the 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 juice wasn't worth the squeeze. Mm-hmm. D- the, the literally, pro- the yeah. literally. <laughs> no. I think this is a perfect segue into. Do we think these high schoolers are shitting in this movie? I feel like we're shitting. Talking. No, like, do you think these high schoolers th- that would go to the bathroom? Yeah. You know what? I would argue that they would. The original title of the film was Starship Poopers. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> well, since Corey rudely interrupted and started talking before she was introduced, ladies and gentlemen, Corey oh, Clifford uh, I mean, is I on can the pod. Go back away yeah. for the first part. <laughs> Forget of everything the... you just <laughs> heard. Give us some privacy. Uh, so, Corey, go do you have it. any relationship to this movie? Yeah, none, zero. Do you? Had you heard of it? You don't remember like when it came out? <laughs> no, I don't remember when it came out. And the thing that keeps making me laugh is beforehand, I was like, let me just do like a little Googling on things. And I was like, what the fuck? Why can't I find this movie? No, I for sure thought this movie was called Storm Ship Troopers. <laughs> <laughs> what? Storm Troopers, I guess. That's from, from Star, Star Wars, Wars yeah. I guess. <laughs> That's how much of a relationship I have with this movie. Wow. Well, a little backstory on this movie. Uh, this is based off of a book. It's an adaptation of a novel by Robert A. Heinlein. 1959. Yeah, it's very interesting that this was written in 1959. It's such a far out kind of story. I did buy the book and intended to read it, but we moved this week Mm -hmm. and I just could not, I couldn't get myself. I started How far did you get? About 10 pages and I just, I didn't really enjoy what I was reading, to be honest. I'm not the biggest fiction reader. I'm a nonfiction guy, but when I read fiction, I really got to like the prose. I really got to feel like it's something special and interesting to me. I will say, uh, I didn't finish it, but I got to chapter 10, which is page 137. And uh, it grew on me a lot. I started to really like it. I started to find his voice and mm-hmm. be like, okay, I get it. He's clever. Would you say that the movie is, from what you read, pretty faithful or do they take a lot of liberties? Take a lot of liberties, okay. for sure. Yeah. Uh, the movie is more over the top, more satire, more direct in in its like, you know, gratuitousness. There's no love triangle, you know, mm. 10 chapters in and we're still in military training. Yeah, that's what that's what I'd heard is that Heinlein was a military guy mm-hmm. and 
you know, from what I gathered watching the special features and doing research is that the general um, interpretation of the book is that he is quite pro-military, quite conservative in his ethos, and is kind of making a case for this version of the future. Interesting. I did not hear that. I heard that this book was very controversial at the time when it came out. It even says on on the cover, the controversial classic of military adventure. So I yeah. kept waiting to see what the controversy is. Mm-hmm. But in one of the Starship Troopers uh, making of featurettes, they said uh, that it was unprecedented that a book would come out that would be, you know, speaking this way of of military and yeah but maybe you know different i think what's clear from how the movie was received is that different people saw different things in it very true the military loves the movie and paul verhoeven is very clearly anti-war yeah so for the listeners um you know anybody who maybe doesn't know exactly what's the concept of this movie we are in a futuristic utopian society that is essentially embraced it's very fascist leaning. It's mm-hmm. it's sort of embraced a military society. And so in this world, to become a citizen, you must serve in the military. And to vote, you must. In order yeah, to have I, the rights of a, of a typical American right. human being, you have to serve to earn them. Otherwise, you do not have those yeah. rights. And to be clear, I think it's, it's uh, what struck me with this most recent viewing and reading the book is that it's a worldwide government. It's a, right. it's a, it's almost like what if Hitler won World War II yeah. and Nazism spread around the world. What would a global fascist regime right. look like? But if but Paul Verhoeven was determined in an ironic way mm-hmm. to show a functioning society. I thought that was a really interesting way he Me depicted too. a lot of very obvious um, uh, problems with the society. But then he also shows things like gender equality that were that yes. was really interesting to see. Heinlein's depiction of this future world is that like a lot of problems are solved. There's there's not as much crime right. and that there is this certain weird equality amongst the people because of this military society. And from what I gathered is that Heinlein stops there. And it's just like in this version of it, if this if an if a dictator like Hitler would have gotten what they wanted and created a fascist society, maybe it could have actually worked out for the better. And what Paul Verhoeven did was I'm going to depict that, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw in all these subversions that say, yes, we are in this sort of like beautiful utopia, but it's filled with propaganda. Yeah. But it's filled with people who are maimed and murdered because in the end, they're all getting sent to the meat grinder. Yeah. I think a lot of people come into this movie just seeing Casper Van Dien and this all beautiful model-esque cast. And the crazy shoot 'em up alien action Crazy shoot 'em up thing and thinks like, oh, that's all it is. It's just a big budget sci-fi shoot 'em up. Right. When in reality, to me, I'm sure to you, to Verhoeven, all of it is done intentionally and it is a critique of fascism. Right. And so it's meant to be a mirror of what could be if we allow fascism to take over. Yes. While also commenting on the actual problems of a militarized American society, which is what we currently still have. But um, yeah, the theme of the movie is war makes fascists of us all. He's trying to show like at what cost, what's the cost of that? Yeah. He decided in order to adapt this book, he was going to make it authentically as if it was like a propaganda film from this world. Right. And so he went and looked at 
propaganda movies from World War II, both, I think, United States propaganda movies as well as German propaganda movies, and pulled a lot from like Lenny Riefenstahl and Triumph of the Will and was doing direct homages to those movies in order to, you know, commit to the bit, basically. The movie is threading a needle so delicately that when it came out, people either missed all of that stuff completely and just saw it as a completely surface level action movie. Or if they did catch the fascist stuff, they interpreted it as being pro-fascist. And they they missed all of the irony and the dark satire within it, which is sort of understandable in a way because what stumps people about this movie is that it never shows its cards. Mm -hmm. It is so committed to being like, if this world created a propaganda film, that's exactly what this movie would look like. At no point does a character ever come to the realization that they're being sent to the meat grinder, really. You know what I mean? At no point do they say, I think I'm in a fascist world. Up until the last frame. Exactly. It just never lets up on it. It's It commits to it so thoroughly that the, I think people didn't know how to interpret it. There's only one character in the whole movie who ever has any moment of expressing, maybe this isn't right. <clears throat> Do you know who it is? The bug? No. <laughs> the brain well, yes, bug? obviously the bugs. <laughs> uh, the who? poor bugs. Uh, the reporter who... Oh my gosh, yes, you're yeah. right. That's mm-hmm. right, because he says something like, people are speculating that we could have provoked this to happen. Mm-hmm. I love that. And yeah. I love that came kind of after the more revealing that the Mormon, uh, ex- Mormon, the Mormon extremists have settled to a colony that they were not supposed to, and it was, <laughs> you know, on the bug planet. Yeah. And so they pr- the, the movie is, in a very brief moment, revealing kind of like, we provoked this. Mm -hmm. We started this war. Yes, the bugs threw the meteor at Buenos Aires, wiping it off the planet. Or did they? We'll get to it, but that's not questionable. Because what we're shown in this movie is that basically the only media that these characters are allowed to consume come from the Federation. Right, it could be an accident, yeah. Or it could be completely set up to to cause the war. The Federation Mm -hmm. could have blown up Buenos Aires and told people it was the bugs. We actually don't know, as the viewers, and from the character's point of view. But we know it's the asteroid. Right, but who who knows if the aliens sent the asteroid? Right, yeah. I don't think that that matters. But but what, I think it's purposely ambiguous yeah. so that we don't actually know if the aliens did or did not do that. Whether the aliens did it mm-hmm. or it was an accident, either or way, a setup or or a, or a purposeful yeah, war it's invasion, fascism, tool. or you know. Uh, those in power mm-hmm. always looking for an enemy. And I think that's what works so brilliant about the bugs in this movie that maybe some people think are the bugs are stupid or silly or whatever. Right. But it's like, I think that's the point. The bugs are silly. We t- we're making an enemy of these bugs that are just like trying to live. Simply defending Simply their territory. defending their territory. Yeah. And we're going to all out war. And then these poor kids get on the planet and they're ripped limb to limb. Yeah. Like they have no clue. Yeah, I think it's brilliant. So I will say that Verhoeven has made some of my favorite movies. I think Robocop is a true, tried and true masterpiece. I think Total Recall is a great film. I think Basic Instinct is a great film. I think this is a great film too. I don't like where this is going. For me, this movie works better intellectually than it does emotionally. I think this movie is fascinating in what it's attempting to do. I think its satire is whip smart. And I like the fact 
that it's doing it in such a way that you actually have to really be in tune with it to get it. I appreciate the swing. The problem is, is that as a movie, it's never been 100% lovable to me. I think part of it is because it's committing so hard to the bit. I think because it's doing this thing where it's, it's being a propaganda movie, there's not a whole lot of emotional stakes for me as the viewer, because the characters are so sort of wooden and stereotypes purposefully. But I think because of it, by the time we reach the third act of this movie, which is a long third act, I'm kind of like ready for the movie to be over. Every time I watch it, I get to like the last 30 minutes of the movie and I'm sort of done with the movie. But it has way more to go and it just kind of becomes an action battle sequence by the end of it. And I think what RoboCop does and what Total Recall does and what Basic Instinct does is it's still a movie. Like, I think the character of Murphy in RoboCop, there's true like empathy that you have for that character that you just never really have for any of the characters in this movie. And so like, just as a film, I don't love it nearly as much as his other movies because I think it's more of an intellectual exercise than it is a successful movie. I feel you. I don't agree on one character. And it's if you took this character out of the movie for me, I think I would struggle a little bit more with it. But the D, uh, the character that Dina Meyer plays, Dizzy, yeah, Dizzy Flores, hooked me. I I don't care what you say. I don't care what critiques you have of her. She works for me. I have no critiques of her. I mean, I I wish she was the main character of the mm -hmm. film. To be honest, she it, watching her. For, first of all, my experience watching this movie and and rewatching it now, I caught myself so many times with my mouth open. I would just agape, just in awe of the absurdity of everything I was seeing, just in a Verhoeven way. Everything is so intense. Yeah. Everything is so colorful. The acting, the absurdity of the performances were mesmerizing to me. Mm -hmm. The dullness of the performances were me were captivating yeah. to me. So it was like, you have these stale performances, but I still found that it fit in a nice and cozy way for me, where I was able to sort yeah. of get on board. I am more probably more partial to sci science fiction in general than than you are, especially when it comes to like futuristic stuff like yeah. i like that stuff you mentioned special effects and i was blown away by the team that they assembled yeah. to do this movie kevin yeager mm -hmm. alec gillis adi yep and phil tippett and tom woodruff and, who was also adi yeah of course industrial light and magic mm -hmm. i don't know if skywalker ranch was involved but they mentioned I'm a sure. team called band from the ranch have you heard of them no they apparently they used to work at skywalker ranch uh -huh. And they broke into George Lucas's office. They partied in his office and they fired them. And so they started their own company called Band That's from the hysterical. Ranch. That's yeah. hysterical. Well, we got to work with them. Are I they know. still around? I, they must be. That's great. Um, but like, that's a dream team. Kevin Yeager. Yes. Doing heads being chopped Beautiful off. Beautiful gore effects prosthetic. ADI work in this movie. building all the practical creatures, mechanics, robots, yeah. stuff like that. Phil Tippett from Jurassic Park doing what he does best which yes. is the cg <laughs> stuff that i thought like dude, honestly it holds up really well when that I, stuff does when i edit on adobe premiere and i add a cross dissolve my system struggles to get through it how the fuck is this guy animating hundreds of thousands of animated creatures and rendering them time and money baby i watched an interview with phil tippett and the interviewer was like you did the special effects creatures for all three movies 
why do the creatures look and feel so different from the first movie to the third movie? <laughs> <laughs> and Phil Tippett was like, money, dude, like time and money. He was like, the first movie we had, well, I don't remember, what's the budget of this movie? Like $100, $100 million. And we had six months to shoot the film. In the third one, we had $5 million and we had six weeks. So he's like, that's why the creatures look and feel not as good in that third one. We have a triple A, $100 million studio movie, B movie, yeah. campy, tongue in cheek, satire with an, you know, what I can't call them an all star cast, but no. they, they have the aura of an all star cast. And that's part of it too. You know, that's the total recall and basic instinct sing because of the the leads because you got Arnold, you got Sharon Stone, you got Michael Douglas, you have these super charismatic yeah. people. As beautiful and as charming as Casper Van Dien and Denise Richards, they aren't they don't quite have the charisma to to make me like yeah, but completely when, go with them. I know, but when Casper Van Dream smiles and Denise Richards smiles, my heart just melts. I just, <laughs> yeah. I also kind of thought that Corey has a little Denise Richards going on. Oh my God, Justin. <laughs> I saw it in the mouth. When Denise Richards smiles, she also has like, you know, the shape of her of her smile bends in a very specific way I thought was Corey-esque. Yeah. Wow. But before we get too deep down this, bug hole yeah how did you watch the movie oh my god we didn't even talk about that so i have this blu-ray 4k blu-ray combo 20th anniversary starship troopers it has a buttload of special features the blu-ray commits to the bit the menu of this blu-ray is acting as if it is a, a propaganda film and so the first two special features that pop up are like a recruitment video mm -hmm. and then the second one is like a recruitment test and i did those i watched the video and i took the test and the test was literally like testing you on the laws of this society i did that and i took my score i got corporal tw uh, two hundred and forty thousand points wow <laughs> good for you i will say i think the creatures look great all around a lot of this movie does not hold up to hd though i gotta say Parts of this movie look like a sci-fi channel original. It almost has that like video look to it. Yeah, could Particularly be. the, I thought where the effects really fell apart was anytime they were like in space. Mm -hmm. I thought the spaceship stuff looked kind of crappy and I thought the asteroid stuff looked bad and the lasers, mm -hmm. like when they're doing like their training sequences and they're shooting the lasers at each other, it looked bad. I don't need that And I've much. seen this movie a ton of times. I never thought it looked bad until yeah. I watched it on this Blu-ray. Can I segue into how I watched it? Sure. Super bit. Super bit. So I don't remember if you or me or both of us were talking shit about super bit. Oh, yeah. We were definitely We have a super bit tier. For yes. those who are, who are thinking about subscribing to the Patreon or do, one of our tiers is a super bit tier. And the thing about the super bit tier is there ain't no special features on it. But let me tell you something. You don't you get something. nothing for that let me tier. There's a reason why you don't get special features. Mm -hmm. They can't fit them on the disc because they mastered it so fucking yes. good. This DVD looked incredible. It was the perfect balance mm -hmm. of a sharp image right. that still had film quality to it. But not so crisp that you're seeing the flaws. Exactly. It was the perfect way to watch the movie. Honestly, I, I would rather that than anything. I couldn't believe it. I don't remember the last time I pulled out a Superbit DVD, yep. so I probably... I only have a few because I kind of avoided them back when I was collecting DVDs because mm -hmm. they didn't have special features. Yeah. And to me, it was, a it was a bummer every time I got one. In the meantime, I ordered an out-of-print 4K Blu-ray steelbook. 
okay. uh, from eBay. Say what you will about the cover art. I mean, they're trying. It doesn't have words on it. Uh, only the spine. I don't like it. Spine says Starship I Troopers. I need words. The cover is just a piece of like pop art. It's, I, I'm, yeah, I'm not into it. I'm not into that. It comes with a digital copy of the movie. It's a, beautiful art, but I'm not into it being the cover of a DVD. A Blu-ray copy, which has all the special features that your disc has. Right. And then a 4K Ultra HD. Which Blu-ray. mine also has that too. So I popped in the 4K disc next yep. to watch it in UHD on a PS5, and I did not like it. I immediately it's stopped. Too I clear, right? There's a limit. This this 4K UHD HDR thing, Dolby Vision looks great when the movie was shot that way today. Yes, exactly. You know, with HDR cam- cameras that were capable of filming in that kind of high dynamic range. Yeah. When you take an older movie like this, especially one that is so effects heavy, mm-hmm. uh, it's dangerous. Put that little film on there. Mm-hmm. Put that glaze on there so that we don't see those flaws. This is why I'm nervous to upgrade yeah. to, H- to, mm-hmm. to HD DVDs or 4K because I'm nervous I'm not going to like them. I'm nervous it's going to present all that sort of garbage that I that for whatever reason people a lot of people don't notice. Mm-hmm. But the if I notice it it's going to bug the shit out of me. Well, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back with more Starship Troopers. And we are back with Cinema Possessed, and we're talking Starship Troopers. So this movie opens right away with a broadcast. Young people from all over the globe are joining up to fight for the future. I'm doing my part. I'm doing my part. I'm doing my part. I'm doing my part, too. (laughs) They're doing their part. Are you? Join the mobile infantry and save the world. Service guarantees citizenship. Anytime a movie opens with like a fake commercial or a fake news broadcast, you can be pretty confident you're in a satire. It's just a bold way to open a movie, and I love it. It's risky. Verhoeven loves to do it. He has great stuff like that in RoboCop. Corey and I watched RoboCop during the pandemic, and we came out of it being like, I can't believe how much our current world feels like a Verhoeven. Yeah. Did you ever see that video of uh, CNN when the war on Ukraine started? The day that Russia waged war on Ukraine. CNN was doing all day nonstop coverage on it. On the screen, it says, Russia wages war on Ukraine. Sirens are ringing out. All of a sudden, the feed is interrupted by an Applebee's commercial. And a little bit of chicken It's exactly like what you would see in a Verhoeven movie. And it gets even weirder when you get out of, you know, we're in Los Angeles, but when you get into the middle of the country, like when we're back home in Arkansas and we're watching TV, the commercials for the people running for government there are straight up disturbing. Everybody's desensitized. So it doesn't really matter what's going on in the world. 
If they have an agenda, they'll get it across in whatever way they feel like is going to get you, and it doesn't matter if it shocks you. It's better if it shocks you. And bringing it back to this movie, what Verhoeven is showing you is not just like, oh, look what would have happened if the Nazis won World War II. He's showing you, like, look what happens to you, America, when you become a militarized superpower that, you know, uh, we... He said he was inspired by what he saw on actual television when he watched American TV. Yeah. We live in a time where our politicians are gathering up their wife and children and putting AR-15s in their hands and taking Christmas card photos and putting them on the internet with like shitting and grins on their faces. Speaking of fascists and the themes of this movie, Uh also too, in our world, Uh Donald Trump indicted by the the Mm -hmm. Manhattan Grand Jury. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. small, doesn't mean much, but small step towards maybe possibly justice. Right. Learn today also, unfortunately, if they convict him, doesn't mean he can't run. Of course, he'll be like a hero to so many. Uh, You know, a thing I would love to see Verhoeven tackle, AI. Because I think we're living in a weird, unprecedented AI time right now where it's like we're right on the cusp of it. And there's a lot of the whole future is sort of at stake with it mm-hmm. because he's always so focused on media and the the way we are controlled by media. Mm-hmm. I would love to see what his take on what the future of AI looks oh, like dude. in this. Not necessarily Terminator Rise of the Machines, but like within media, within the context of propaganda. Mm-hmm. I was going to say I would love to see... Uh, a movie where uh, an AI becomes self-aware and then bombs a bunch of places and then sends a robot back in time. Right. But you spoiled my joke by that does already referencing exist. Terminator yeah, you 3. forgot yeah. that Terminator <laughs> Two exists. It's not like we bring it up every single podcast. Yeah. Another funny thing that you get to see in this opening thing is uh, murderer sentenced to death, execution tonight at six. And that's uh, there's a little cameo. The murderer is uh, Ed Newmeyer. Mm-hmm. who wrote the film, who also wrote RoboCop. Verhoeven was coming off of a huge flop that was Showgirls. He did need a hit, as I explained in my opening song. And so essentially, he put the band back together from RoboCop. He got the same producer, he got the same writer, and the same composer, Basil Paladoris, uh, to come on and do another bloody, gory sci-fi movie. Um, I'm sorry, Corey, I never introduced you, but you can feel free to talk. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't... I was, I, I didn't know when I mean, I was we, allowed to come back I, in. I thought when you when we first were talking to you, that was just it. We were just going. It's okay. What do you feel about bugs? You didn't chime in on the bug. <laughs> let's not <laughs> backtrack. <laughs> Every <laughs> so Let's see. <laughs> Keep this train moving. Um, so Paul Verhoeven is a Dutch director, mm-hmm. and a, I think spent a lot of his childhood years under Nazi occupation. Mm-hmm. So he is bringing some personal. POV to this movie in terms of, I'm sure he experienced tons of propaganda and tons of military rule through that. Partly what makes this movie unique is that it's got a little bit of that Tommy Wiseau energy to it, where it's made by somebody who is not American, but making an all-American film. Unlike Wiseau, it, it it works. His yes. foreign lens makes it what it is. Well, he's a true genius yeah, filmmaker. Yeah. It doesn't stick out to me like a sore thumb. No. And, I, and I, I would, you know. It sticks out a little bit. I do have. Can you give an example? Well, I I think some of the performances are strange. You don't think that's, a, that's an intentional direction? It's hard to tell. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to tell. I mean, like this movie does have like a Lynchian mm-hmm. quality to the aesthetic when you think about okay he's making a propaganda film and he's he's 
purposefully he he's he's very intentional about casting the most beautiful people mm-hmm. because he wanted to represent this weirdly beautiful you know if hitler had his way he would be sculpting the way the generations yeah. look and so he was like that's what i want to make sure that everybody looks like a doll mm-hmm. this was denise richard's first major mm-hmm. role mm-hmm. this was casper van Dien's first major role mm-hmm. and he was basically casting these people off of the way they looked essentially yeah. so he was kind of having to deal with whatever and talent a, they were bringing to the table a lot of them were television actors before this, yeah so. which you had mentioned earlier that this mm-hmm. was, was Melrose you called Space. it Melrose Space, which is, I guess, a nickname that mm-hmm. the crew gave to the movie because so many of the actors had done parts on Melrose Place. Right. So we get revealed that, that we are in Buenos Aires, mm-hmm. which is interesting because all of these characters are white. There are a few minorities sprinkled in there, but for the most part, it feels like Buenos Aires has been appropriated by this white culture. Casper Van Dien is named Johnny Rico. Denise Richards is named Carmen Ibanez. Ibanez. Dizzy Flores. These are all Spanish names with white people. Yeah, in a world where it's run by one regime, totalitarian regime, then okay, maybe wouldn't surprise me to do Scarface casting. But yeah, yeah no, I don't think it's a problematic yeah. casting. Yeah. I think it's intentional for the satire. Yeah. So we get introduced to Johnny Rico and weirdly prescient, he draws a picture of Denise Richards on this like app. At first I was like, oh, is Johnny Rico an artist? But then he sends it to her, and then she not only is able to draw stuff, she's able to like animate it. This is just an app that does all this kind of stuff for you, which is very much the world we live in now. You don't really have to be a great artist in order to make art on a tablet nowadays because we do have apps that like do a lot of that work for you. I don't think they knew how ahead of the curve they were. I wonder if this society, this fictional society values art. Because I could see... I could see them not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very clear that this society does not value personal expression. It doesn't value uniqueness and art in its essence Mm -hmm. is about personal expression. So I could totally see this world outlawing art. Yeah. If you blink, you miss it. But the the scene also reveals that this movie takes place hundreds of years after the fall of democracy. So basically our society as we know it today has crumbled. Democracy quote unquote, didn't work. And then they built this new society on top of it. And we're like hundreds of years after the fall of democracy, which is a fun dystopian sort Mm -hmm. of But it's interesting because this is a utopia. Yeah, exactly. This is like a perfect world, Mm -hmm. supposedly. And so within this classroom, they're only teaching military stuff. Michael Ironside is the teacher, clearly been in battle. He's missing an arm. No, something given has no value. Look, when you vote, you are exercising political authority. You're using force. And force, my friends, is violence. The supreme authority from which all other authority is derived. And like I mentioned in the Clueless episode, anytime there's a classroom scene, you're probably Mm. getting the themes of the movie in that scene. Basically, every adult you see within the school system or within the government is wounded in some way. They end up going to a biology class, which, by the way, did you notice that the teacher is Rue McClanahan? Who is that? Golden Girls. She's Blanche Mm. in Golden Girls. Oh, I didn't. She's clearly blind, and she has like what appears to be like acid burns on her face. And she's teaching them about the bugs. And what she says about the bugs is that they are a perfect member of society. They have no ego, no fear. They live to reproduce and fight, which is exactly what they want their society to be. Mm -hmm. She's like, you got to admire them bugs. We get to meet Neil Patrick Harris, Mm -hmm. who is Rico's (laughs) buddy. Neil Patrick Harris is a psychic. He says that he can basically control people's minds Mm -hmm. with it. A very Ghostbusters scene. 
Yeah, when, with uh, mm-hmm. with Rico trying to guess the cards. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then we get this crazy football game that kind of reminded me of the... Did y'all ever watch the XFL? I've heard of it, but never Short, it, yeah. Short-lived, brand new football league that was like basically taking the concept of NFL Blitz and turning it into a real league. We get introduced in this football game to Xander, who is basically Rico's <laughs> rival. Xander also has a crush on Denise Richards, and we can tell Denise Richards likes Xander, yeah. too. She keeps looking at him. Xander is... What's his name from Full House? Full House. Uh, John Stamos. John Stamos meets oh. Rob Lowe. Yeah, sure, sure. I sure, can sure, see sure, that. Sure, yeah. Patrick Muldoon plays Xander. He's uh, a goober. To he's me. a goober, but he's supposed to be. He's supposed yeah, to, like yeah, he's yeah, supposed yeah, to be works. a goober. I think Casper Van Dien is actually really good in this scene. Yeah. Because throughout this football game, he's like eyeballing them, and the the anger in his eyes looks real. Like he he convinced me that he was jealous yeah. with with anger. When I, I remember watching this scene as a kid and being mesmerized by like the flipping <laughs> and the gymnastics yeah. of it all. It's still a cool scene. It's a little dated. But and there's both men and women. Yes. It's a co-ed sport. I love it. Dizzy is the captain of the fucking football yeah, she's team. she's the best. Dizzy is so clearly the right woman for him, yeah. but ain't that the way it goes? And she's stunning. Yeah, she's beautiful. You don't see the good thing right before you. You want the thing you can't have, and mm-hmm. that's exactly what Rico sure, wants. Sure. So just to be clear too, Jack just mentioned... Denise Richards is sort of eyeing two guys at the same time. Mm-hmm. Well, she's she's dating Rico, technically. She's dating Rico, yeah, but she's flirting with uh, Xander. And Verhoeven and the writer Ed were talking about the focus groups that they had who watched this movie. And almost everybody, no matter what their age or demographic was, hated Denise Richards literally wrote on the card she should die she's a she's a b word she's an s word and uh they could not accept that she would like two guys they could not accept that she would later dump dump rico but no one has any issue with Rico, like misogyny. Well, Jack got really mad in the way that she broke up with him, and I think that the way that she broke up with him was totally fine. It is fine, and apparently they interviewed people in the military, and that's a common thing that happens all the time. Well, I was letters. like, how how else is she supposed to break up with Rico? They're never going. They are literally light yeah. years apart from well, each other. She has to do it over well, video. Okay, well, here's what I'll tell you: it's not that she did it over video. It's she, that she was like, my life is really great now, and I don't yeah. want to be with you. She's supposed to be an eighteen-year-old. Start the video. You start the video. You start the video with. I have some some news. I have to talk to you about something. You don't start the video with like, "Hey, buddy, that's drama. That's dramatic. That's drama." I'm not saying it's bad for the movie. I'm just saying, wow, she really (laughs) she really twisted him. I did not like Rico at all. So I was like, "Do it. Break up with him. Who cares? What did he do to to disearn your your trust in him at this point?" Uh, he's dumb yeah he is dumb yeah he just has he's like i don't know i just don't i did the way that he treats dizzy i don't like i was always with i was always on dizzy's side i wasn't at this point mad at rico but it builds up i'm not mad at him i just like i mean i even though i do literally have rico's a douche written down on my thing but i think that was maybe for later in the movie i just I don't know. Maybe I was triggered by Rico or yeah. Reza. What's well, his name, I think Rico? she had. I think people who criticize that scene, not you, like focus <laughs> groups and stuff like that, cannot accept that a woman would prioritize 
her career over him and break Which up with Which I think is it. the real thing. They don't want the main character to be broken up with yeah. by what feels like another lead of the movie. Yeah. Um, but Verhoeven was like, I thought it was very feminist at the time to be like, yeah, she, I support her. She's focusing on her own career over this like yeah. high school relationship. Not everyone can be like you and Corey, Jack. To me, it was, <laughs> I wasn't mad. I wasn't mad at her. I was more just like, damn, she just like, that that hurts. Yeah. She pulls a fast one on him, basically. Yeah, but it happens. She starts the video one way, and then midway through, she Shyamalan twists it into are we're you, breaking up. Are you good at delivering someone bad news right away, or do you like to sprinkle in some sugar at the top? I'm no expert Before at you it. toss in the Tabasco yeah. sauce, you know? Mm, I'd like it to start with the Tabasco <laughs> sauce. But I think That's it's interesting great. that we all gravitated towards basically the third supporting character, which mm-hmm. is Flores, Dizzy. Dizzy. That's who we connected with the most. Yeah, that's not even Rico. I agree with ex- what you're saying about this movie, as in I think it's almost a more interesting movie to talk about than to watch because there's not emotion. Yeah, it's a little, it's I'm a little too. That. Yeah, it's a little too. Stupid. But repeat what you said earlier. You agreed with me about. Dizzy. Oh, I 100 agree with you. About <laughs> I Dizzy. agree with that Dizzy too. I said I wish she was a main character. No, Corey and Justin on one team, and Jack on another. Being Corey. Okay, so speaking cool. of, there's just there's like a prom scene, the school dance. Um, with a very interesting band. This is Basil Paladoris's daughter. This is the per- the composer of the film. This is his daughter. This is a song you would never think you would hear at a school prom, but to me, it put me in the future. It was like, well, this feels futuristic. It does, and I think the lyrics, the lyrics like trail off at the end. All is something is like, it's, well. It's going to be okay. Sort all of, is but, yeah. well. Yeah, but it's not. She's doing a cover of a David Bowie song, a 90s David Bowie yeah. song. And in this and scene- And then Maisie, there was a Maisie Star song too. Yes, uh, and I loved yeah. that scene. That's mm-hmm. a good, I thought that was a good use of that song and a, a pretty good scene all around. So in this sequence dizzy tries to express her feelings to rico and he shuts her down he friend zones her basically he literally says like multiple times in this movie like you're a good friend dizzy and also in this scene rico talks to michael ironside his teacher and says like what should i do should i join the should i should i join the army and i appreciate that michael ironside is like a good enough human to be like make your own decision i loved what he said what again it's like this is the duality of the movie yeah. which is so clearly saying fascism is wrong yet he is going out of his way to make there be some positive elements yeah. in this movie and the line if i'm quoting it correctly he says the only true freedom you have in this world is to make a decision for yourself. Michael Ironside made an interview with him and he said that before he agreed to do the film, he read the book and was alarmed by, he interpreted the book as being very right-wing and very pro-fascism. He went to Verhoeven and was like, why are you making this into a movie? And apparently Verhoeven was like, if you make a movie that is openly anti-right-wing, the right-wingers are never going to see it. But if you depict their version of it and show them that all this society is good for is fighting and killing bugs, then maybe it can actually make an impact. And Michael Ironside was like, that's all I needed to hear. And I I jumped in. I like that. But again, the producer and some people admit, you know, it kind of backfired. Exactly. As interesting as this movie is, it clearly failed to get its point across to majority of people. I think now in hindsight, 
Yes. People are interpreting this movie correctly, but certainly at the time, yeah. it was completely misinterpreted. Yeah, it's a, it's not obvious. It's a struggle. I mean, I can't even imagine the response that a movie would get today if somebody tried to make a movie that was completely devoted to depicting a Nazi world and depicting it in this grand, beautiful way where they're the protagonists, yeah. people would be furious Yeah, well, I think going back to what you said about how it, it never drops the act, yeah. it never drops the bit. A movie like that today would have to have a Twilight mm -hmm. Zone scene at the end where it's like the moral of the story yes. is war is bad and, and you know, we'll get there, but the scene ends, the movie ends triumphantly. Yeah. But you feel sad as an audience. You should. You I, should. I yeah. feel uncomfortable by what I'm seeing, but yeah. you kind of hope that there would be some character with uh, that could have some catharsis. Right. So they all end up enlisting, and in the enlistment scene, they literally are like, fresh meat to the grinder, and you see more people who are missing limbs, and like, one day you're going to be just like me, and it's like literally people who are mutilated. Mm -hmm. um, again, he's hiding it all in plain sight. He's showing you his cards in terms of the way he feels about the society. So we end up getting introduced to to Jake Busey. And for those who don't know, tell explain to our listeners who Jake Busey is. Well, if, if our listeners know who Gary Busey is, <laughs> which I'm sure they do. And for those who don't know who Gary <laughs> Busey is. Jake Busey is the son of Gary Busey. He's so good. He's really good. You talked to so strange looking, one of but our, in such an interesting way. <laughs> one of our previous episodes, you referred to an actor as a Jack and Justin actor, meaning like an actor that seems right on our speed that we love to watch, that we would love to work with, that we feel mm -hmm. like we would have a good time. I think that's Jake, Jake Busey, Busey to a T. Hundred yeah. percent. I would love to work with Jake Busey. I think he's good in everything. And watching him in the interviews, he seems like a totally down to earth, cool, and like he just down popped up to in clown the new guy. Of Stranger Things. So mm. he's still working. Yeah. He's great. And he had good stories, apparently. So they're in these training sequences, his character is like not good at throwing the knives. There's that whole sequence where they're all throwing knives and he keeps missing and then he complains and, and uh, Clancy Brown throws the knife and hits him in the hand. Well, apparently Jake Busey was actually amazing at throwing the knives. So good that he couldn't not do it. <laughs> and so they kept, they, it took them a long time to shoot the scene because he would stick it every single time. He was like the That's king baller. at doing the knife wow. thing. The whole thing I was thinking in this um, scene and I know that the reality is probably not true but I wish so badly that like I could go to boot camp me too I think I would be really good at it for one thing could you imagine the skills you oh like if God. we could not go to war so fun. and not not like join but but experience real boot camp yes like real boot camp. like we I like want to book a movie where like I have to do that for yeah. like training I think it would be <laughs> sure it wouldn't but it feels like it would be really fun i feel like i would love the challenge like the the workout part of it mm -hmm. i would be like yes like my everything that like makes me want to win mm -hmm. that like <laughs> toxic thing in me Could i think i would really enjoy it and i honestly think i would be good at it and i really want to try life is so already hard and mm -hmm. disturbing mm -hmm. and breaks me every day that yes. i just want to like sign up for yes. it yes somebody like, yelling at oh, me to I tell me what to this. do i chose to be broken take away my ego strip me of everything that i <laughs> know about myself and rebuild me into a killing machine but then don't but i won't kill anyone yeah Speaking yeah. of, Dale Dye was the military advisor on this film, and he is a famous... Platoon? Yeah, he did Platoon. He did Casualties of War, Saving Private Ryan. He Basically, anytime you had military characters, 
he was like the Hollywood army dude. I wonder if the character from Tropic Thunder was based off of him. Oh, probably. That's I guarantee funny. it. Because oh, yeah. when I was watching that Because he's a character. Yes. When I was watching behind the scenes footage of him, I was thinking, wouldn't it be funny if he never went to war and had Yeah, no he's just a total yet. faker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that probably is. Yeah. Have you ever been to like, a, it's back to the throwing knives. Have you ever been to a Ren Fair and thrown uh, daggers? Only axes. Axe throwing Trendy, trendy LA. It had its trendy LA moment, and someone. Oh, had, you like went to like a a birthday uh, party. Yeah. someone had a birthday party at an axe throwing range. To me, that's the only reason to go to a Ren fair mm-hmm. is to throw some daggers or axes or the the arrows, bow and arrows, shooting arrows. Yeah, yeah, shooting, mm-hmm. shooting or throwing things into into uh, targets is really fun. Target shopping malls. Yeah, you can <laughs> you can wish. you can do that. Mm-hmm. So, but you Jake Busey is introduced as. Kind of an interesting character who's like, huh, is he a villain? Is he going to be- I thought he a, was going to be. A bad guy or- Because he does have, Jake Busey has a little bit of like villain energy. Yeah, but it very quickly turns around. Like any other movie would take great effort to introduce one antagonist in the group, as in it, like a full metal jacket sort of yeah. uh, bad egg in the group, right? right? Someone who's going to go AWOL. He does have a little bit of pile energy because he fails at the dagger thing and and and, Dale, and Clancy Brown yeah. punishes him for it. But he ends up being a sweetie. Yeah, he kind of becomes Rico's best friend. A sweetie with a violin. <laughs> oh my God, yeah. So yeah, he's a musician. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he pulls out a violin multiple times. Busey taught himself for the role. Which is hilarious. Wow, mm-hmm. that's hilarious. That feels like a very Busey thing to do uh-huh. just in general. So now we get to one of the most memorable scenes in the movie, which is the co-ed shower scene. <sighs> so not only do they have co-ed sports in this world, mm-hmm. but they have co-ed showers. Wild and nobody scene. And nobody is offensive or inappropriate. No, no, yeah. Verhoeven talks about it. He was like, I wanted to depict a society where it was basically sexless in terms it was genderless in terms of people's hierarchy Mm -hmm. everybody was on an equal playing field and so nobody was being judged nobody was being sexualized nobody was being they weren't mentioning it at all i thought that was kind of an interesting slightly positive very positive progressive aspect that could come out of a society that sort of uh forces these people to do these guess what it happens everywhere else but america you go to Europe, you go to Amsterdam, you go to Amsterdam. Well, that's not 100% true, It seems hard to true, imagine that, sure, imagine, th- that people aren't still sexualized and still like Women aroused. constantly, when you travel, going to like places like oh, Italy you, and stuff like that, it is still a scary place. You can't just, as a woman, travel. I'm talking about safe. designated areas of nudity that is publicly accepted. I'm talking nude beaches. Sure, sure, Name me sure, one sure, country sure, abroad sure. that doesn't have a nude beach. Sure. I'm talking Well, America spas. has nude beaches. <sighs> Yeah, they're fringe. <laughs> but they have them. Yeah. But yes. But it's, yeah. And they're you, fun as hell. <laughs> Amsterdam, Verhoeven's home, homeland. I went to a nude spa there and I felt very uncomfortable because mm-hmm. I'm an American. Mm-hmm. It feels like I'm doing something wrong because that's what I was trained to believe. And you go into these spaces. I went to four different countries where I was like, you know what? My back hurts. I have a bad back, everyone. It's a herniated disc. Don't worry about me. I'll be fine. <laughs> Um, and so I was like doing yoga in every country I would go to. Literally, everyone was changing butt ass naked out in the open. And so I went up to the teacher and I was like, hey, where do I change? And she was like, just right here. I was like, but no, you don't understand. I don't have any underwear on. And she was like, what is wrong with you? She's just, like, do you have just, some sort of sore yeah, on your yeah. penis or something? And you would just 
get naked and you'd see ass and you would see everything and same with the spas like sure, sure. um you know in in LA we have like we spa mm-hmm. where it's same quote unquote gender um is nude but you're not but floors that are are mixed gender you're not nude right yeah so yeah i don't know i love the scene i remember being a child and being utterly mesmerized by it and i remember watching this one day ago and being utterly oh yeah i mean it still feels like oh my god oh my god well and a cool thing of what he does in this scene is that he's distracting you with all this nudity but he's actually giving you Information and the information yeah, that he's, he's making Rico yeah, look like a dumb ass, and I love well, it. <laughs> as progressive as the idea of this co-ed showering is, the things that they're talking about are demonstrating how oppressive this society actually is. They're all talking about why they joined the military, but most of the people are there because they need to do it in order to actually get to where they need to be in life. Breckenridge, what's your excuse? Oh, my family's all farmers. I hate farming. I mean, uh, mobile infantry is like pure picnic by comparison. All right, so they grow them big and dumb on the farm planet. Huh? And pretty! Oh, I like big! Jonathan, what about you? Oh, I'm going into politics, and you know, you gotta be a citizen for that, so here I am. Ah, you want some responsibility? Yeah! Shijumi, come on, let's keep it going. I got into Harvard, but my father says forget it, it's gonna cost an arm and a leg, you know? So, if I serve, Federation pays my way. <laughs> I want to have babies. You know, it's a lot easier to get a license if you serve. One woman wants to have babies. She says, I want to get my license to have babies. So in this world, you cannot freely have children. You have to get a license to have children. While you're sort of distracted by this glorious nudity, you're getting this sort of underlying oppression within there. Yeah, which is brilliant. They eventually get to Rico and they say, Rico, why are you joining? It's like, mind your business. Yeah, he doesn't want to admit that he's there for freaking girl and that's it. He actually has no stake in this it war. It shows Rico's privilege. Exactly. And the more I think about it, it's so insane and makes no sense that he's there for a girl because he knows that she's going to be a pilot and he's going to be like an army person essentially. Yeah, he's an idiot. And, and Neil Patrick Harris is like, this is literally before they all go off, he's like, yeah, we can make this stupid little vow to stay friends forever because we're never going to see each other ever again. But like, they do. He's an idiot. But they do. They do. They do. I know, but he's, if that's the to, only reason he it's joined, to impress her. he's it's dumb, to impress dumb, her. dumb, yeah. dumb, yeah. dumb. You've never done anything to impress somebody? Come on. Come on. Come on. Of course I have. But you know what I did? I got this boy to move with me to Chicago. Then I got these two boys to move with me to Los Angeles. I'm the the Denise Richards in this scenario. I hated LA. I had no intention (laughs) to come here. And you, in one night. I did a PowerPoint presentation. You tricked me into coming here. 11 years later, you're welcome. I came to LA for a girl. Me. Corey Clifford. And a boy. And, and a boy. A boy. <laughs> We're kind of like Neil Patrick Harris, Johnny Rico. Wow, let's and- <laughs> stay friends. Let's promise to stay friends forever. This scene is in every single slasher movie from the 80s. There's always a shower scene with <laughs> yeah. naked people around. You, I, I wish there was dick in it. I wish we saw a little you bit. You see of, it like a glance it's a of glance. It would have been a more progressive and effective yes. scene if we saw some dick. But the the point is, he's not just being gratuitous. Yeah. Verhoeven is never just being gratuitous. He's also using it as an opportunity to tell you something. Exactly. Um, all the actors were obviously nude. Mm-hmm. 
And I, the rumor is that they asked for Hoven and the DP to also get nude. And the rumor says that they did. And then the crew very quickly asked them to put their clothes. <laughs> oh, interesting. On. In the, in the, in the FedNet mode, Jake Busey tells the story. What does he say? He says that every actor in that scene for the entire shoot was nervous about that scene. They were talking about the entire production. So that when the day finally came to shoot it, they all were like given their towels and they were all told to like get undressed, but then put your towels on and go to set. So they all arrived on set and then Verhoeven showed up to set and was like, all right, uh, I'm going to go do this thing. Everybody get naked. We're going to shoot in five minutes. He went and did the thing. He came back. None of them had taken their towels off. And he was like, what are you guys doing? Why aren't you naked? And apparently Busey says that it was his idea. He said, hey, Paul, why don't you guys get naked? It might help us do it. And he said in that moment, he looked at the DP and the DP nodded his head and they just stripped down and got completely naked. And then they were like, all right, well, if the director and DP did it, they all did it. And he said that they completed the scene naked. He said after about 10 minutes, they all kind of adjusted to it. It was weird for the first couple of takes, but after about 10 minutes, they just kind of got free in the moment and they spent all day naked. And he was like, it was a surreal experience to spend an entire day filming something completely naked with everybody. Corey? Mm-hmm. I'm already thinking about what you're going to say. You book a role. Uh-huh. It's a good role. It's paying, pays very well. Sure. And the director has one request uh-huh. in, that in the shower scene, it reveals your full body. Sure. Yeah. 100%. No questions. Mm, well, questions, sure. Who You said 100%. That if, means if you're no saying, questions. Well, if, if it's you a agree director, to the script, if, if you agree, I agree with the to script, the script mm-hmm. and the director is somebody I respect. Of course. Yeah. Now, my question is I I maybe if you would have asked me that earlier in my life, but now I'm like, fuck it. Would you ask your parents not to watch the scene to no. close their eyes during no. the scene? Obviously, this if it was like a sex scene, I would maybe be like, "There's a sex scene in this that's going to mm-hmm. happen." You'd you'd give them a heads up. Uh, yes, of mm-hmm. course, I'd give. I'd probably give everybody I know a heads mm-hmm. up. Like I'm naked in this part. Just know that it would be. I thought would... you were about to ask me. <laughs> in my head, I was imagining we're on set and. I, you guys are directing the movie. I'm an actor in the movie. Mm-hmm. This situation happens, and somebody's like, "Well, you guys have to get naked if we have to get naked," and that makes me want to scream. Yeah, that that's <laughs> my question here is that in today's world, obviously, this scene would be shot with a, a, a intimacy coordinator. Yeah, it would have been be handled. Things would be handled differently. very differently. You wouldn't just walk on set as a director and say, "All right, get naked. We're gonna shoot this thing." But no, it could never happen that way. That and being a director said, wouldn't be able to get naked on you would set. Be arrested. That's what I'm, yeah, what like, I'm saying is that this cute story, this endearing story yeah, of how never, Paul Verhoeven and his anymore. cinematographer helped everybody get comfortable by stripping down naked. I could see the PR storm oh, we being live in so a fucking world. wild about this. If the fucking Safety brothers, <laughs> if the story came out that the Safty brothers got naked on set with a bunch of other men and women who they were asking to be naked. They forced I, them to get naked. That's the headline. Yeah, Sa- I, exactly. I could just see the twists and turns <laughs> of that. People being like, this is unacceptable, which honestly, maybe it is. I just think we live in a different time where you can't, as a director, get naked to help people get naked. <laughs> That whole thing is just bad, bad, no, bad. Yeah. Somebody would somebody would get in trouble. Somebody would lose their job. Somebody would get canceled in this situation. Yeah. It's a it's a it's you a, get that intimacy coordinator involved, and as a director, you keep your fucking clothes on. <laughs> what you don't want to get labeled that is the pervert director who like likes to get naked with his cast to the thing. You're just gonna well, get fucking in I trouble. I think in this particular situation, and I feel like there's another example on the tip of my tongue of like asking your 
cast or crew to do something that you yourself would not do. I feel like there's another example in my head that's not there sexual. There is. I'm trying to think of it too. Of like a director who's like, "Fine, I'll do it," and then the crew was like, "All right, well." He but did now it, I it would no- also be so different because it would be a completely closed set. There would only be the director and it's the, the spontaneity of it. Like, you yeah, couldn't yeah, yeah, spontaneously yeah. strip naked as a director without <laughs> fear of somebody being like, "You're exposing yourself. You're flashing. This isn't. Ag- we didn't agree to see your fucking penis and balls." So I feel violated by it, which is understandable. I'm sure there were people in there that were like, "We don't want to fucking see that." <laughs> <laughs> But it's complicated and, you know, that's why it's important. I think I think intimacy coordinators are some of the best things to happen in film because you can sure. get what you need in a way that makes everybody feel yeah. comfortable and you don't have to sacrifice the scene because I want sex scenes. I want yeah. nudity in movies. I like it. I agree. It's complicated. I just want to leave a little bit room for we're not on set with them. Trust maybe that... You know, who knows? In oh, that environment, maybe oh, it was. It was what I don't think anybody was violated. No, I just think it was. It's a fun story. It just could not. Happen in today's today. culture, sure. that story does not read as fun to Twitter. When it comes out, people are gonna get mad. Yeah, I think about it with like bugs. Like if I if if we asked an actor to lay in a in a bed of spiders or snakes for a shot, and they were assured by the animal wranglers that these were not venomous, that they will not bite. As much as I f- have expressed already, I f- don't like bugs. I don't like spiders and snakes. I would feel like if I'm asking a person to do that and they were uncomfortable, I would feel I would have to do it in order to ask somebody else to do it and but push I feel like through their a, discomfort. It is a false association because you're high. You're an actor. Your job is. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know, to but it's about per- it's about courtesy. But why though? Would you, if a stunt person was afraid to get yeah. in a car and flip a car, you would go flip it? You're not qualified to do that. <laughs> That's true. You're not qualified to go in front of the camera and act for them and give them permission to act. It's their job. I say you read the script. You know, you're not throwing a surprise at the actor. I agree. Then you should do it. I'm in. Once again, <laughs> you've convinced team me. Justin team and Corey. Corey the cinema possessed me. with Justin and Corey featuring Jack. But then you also argued on Sling Blade that you shouldn't cut a scene that you, the director, don't want in the movie to make the actor feel better. I have no memory. Of that. <laughs> and then we get this, I think, another memorable scene in the movie, which is the live fire exercise sequence. They uh, are training with live rounds, and uh, one of the guys in the in the group has like something funky going on with his helmet. And Rico says, "Well, here, take it off. Let me let me take a look at it." And when that happens, one of the soldiers trips, falls, <laughs> fires his live round into this dude's bare head, and blows <laughs> the top of his head off. And it looks spectacular. It's honestly the most gruesome yes. scene to me. Yeah, he, Verhoeven always has great prosthetic works, and it's because he uses Kevin Yeager. Jaeger is the fucking best at creating faces. Yes. Faces well, and eyes. Did you know also Jaeger used a lot of the heads in the movie are Jaeger's head? Oh, that's cool. Yeah. The, it doesn't matter if it's a man, a woman, or a different he race. Uses he uses first, his mold first. And then yeah. yeah, he has a very specific style. When Jaeger makes a head, it's simultaneously very realistic looking, but also has this sort of exaggerated style to it mm-hmm. he always gives a great expression with his faces he's got great big chucky eyes on all of his mm-hmm. dolls 
And it looks fucking great. It's one of the most memorable gore things in the movie. Let me ask you a serious question. Hmm. Do you think when Kevin Yeager explodes the head, he yells, Yeager bomb? <laughs> he better. Yes. He's definitely the somebody's done it. <laughs> and then Rico gets punished by Dean Norris. Dean Norris mm-hmm. uh, has a little cameo. Mm-hmm. I've always liked Dean Norris. Mm-hmm. He always plays the same character. He usually in every plays movie. either a SWAT team member, a military mm-hmm. guy. So Breaking a cop. Bad was such a big break for him. Uh-huh. You know what I like about Dean Norris is even though he plays like military dudes, he has like a surfer dude vibe to him. <laughs> yeah. He's always like, yeah, Johnny Rico. You, he, Ten lashes. He has a Corey Clifford I, dad. I vibe. knew you were gonna say that. I was just about to say Paul, the same thing. Paul, yeah. Can I say his last you name? You sure can. Paul Clifford. <laughs> <laughs> Don't dox my dad. Uh, no, I was Dean just, Norris. Yeah, he's big, got Paul Clifford. He's so funny big, that you Paul said Paul Clifford that. has yeah. big Dean energy. Yeah, yeah, he does. He really does. And I thought it was interesting. There's a Verhoeven. He knows how to create evocative imagery. Rico gets tied up to the whipping post. Mm-hmm bare-chested, and whipped by a black man. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's any specific meaning other than he's like, this is going to be an evocative thing to show. It's unprecedented. Yeah. Dude, you're, I mean, you're literally, you're just talking yourself, you're naming all of these scenes that are proving the brilliance of this movie. I, like I said, intellectually extremely stimulating. Yeah, and I also think kind of better conversation. Well, here's the thing. Well, we haven't gotten there yet, but I think, I think the that, first half of this movie is a banger. I want to preface that I think this is a great film. It's just not my favorite Verhoeven. Yeah, uh, sure. The audience heard you say you hate the movie, you <laughs> think it sucks. <laughs> I uh, talked for about 45 minutes before that about how great it was. The first half yeah, of this movie- Yeah, to sugarcoat me before <laughs> yeah. you drop the tobacco I totally sauce. Denise Richards. Yeah, Denise yeah. Richards me, dude. <laughs> Uh, this Everything scene- that we're talking about is the is the fun part of this movie. It's once they yeah, go think- to war that this movie we'll drops be speeding off through that me. last thirty minutes because it does just yeah. turn into a fire. We fight. are also this is long. this <laughs> scene. The studio desperately wanted Verhoeven to cut for obvious reasons. Oh yeah, we now get a section of the movie where we get to see Carmen learn to fly, and it's boring as hell. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Carmen and Xander end up having like a little moment where they're kind of bonding with each other. They're drinking coffee out of clear coffee mugs. Uh-huh. And I don't like it. It's to show you the ship is tilting. And I understand. The gravitational field. I understand. It's a very De Palma-y kind of thing. Like we need to show the audience something in a fun way. And it's futuristic, I guess, to have clear, hot beverage in clear glass. Don't mix with JB. I need my coffee in a, in a solid mug, mm. preferably brown. Or you a, want the mug to be brown? I want the mug to be brown. Why does it have to be brown? Because it's cozier. Huh. Okay. If the mug's not brown, it at least needs to be like in the shape of the Tasmanian devil. Or <laughs> What know. if you're drinking tea? Does it have to be brown? We don't even have one brown mug. Which is why my life is incomplete. <laughs> you can't, don't act like this is a surprise. How many times have I told you I want brown coffee mugs? You did, when I, we were in New Orleans, <laughs> when we were in New Orleans, we went to... Um, Cafe Dumont. Cafe Dumont. And they have all these mugs, white, green, red, brown. And I said, we just spent a shit ton of money this weekend. This was the last day. And this coffee mug is about $25. <laughs> oh my God. I want it. And I actually want like four of them. 
to he, complete he the set. He did not buy them. I like. I those didn't buy of, it. I like those kinds of mugs too. I have no issue drinking coffee out of anything. Give it to me. Does it? Does the a only hot beverage that, in a clear glass not feel wrong? No, the I have had tea in a clear one mug is that before. They usually don't hold. Like they, it, they're hard to hold. They're hard to hold. Like it, the outside is so hot. It's the same. It has a handle. Yeah, but you know when you drink coffee, you don't like to do this. <laughs> no, I don't know. It does yeah, it doesn't it does it makes it really hot. I will say the only clear mugs that I did like was when Batman Forever came out and McDonald's did these clear glass those. mugs and I had two of them. I had the Riddler and we I had Batman. We sold them at your family's and estate. And we sold sale. them out of my family's estate sale. And <gasps> only because I thought we would get big bucks off of them. Guess what we didn't. So then they get they they there's this like this is where some bad CGI comes in. The asteroid scene. This asteroid looks like a turd to me. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was a miniature. Well, also put yourself back in 97. It would be cool for 97. The asteroid? It's a real physical object. It's not CG. Some of the planets are CG. Some of the some of the 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 ships are CG in some shots, but those big Titanic-esque space cruisers, those were those were 10 yards long. A real Miniature. It looks like Battlestar Galactica. I know, but it's cool. Somebody built that with their hands. Speaking of asteroid, I have an asteroid right now. <laughs> Jack, we don't need no, this. No, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. And he's he's convinced that he got it from the squatty potty. Who diagnosed it? Himself. Me. Are you sure then? <laughs> yeah. And he's yeah. convinced you know he got it from what? Maybe the maybe, squatty potty. No, squatty potty thank helps. Thank you, thank you. I might, you know what? I might cut this, but I'm going to say it here because <laughs> I do think that people need to hear this. <laughs> this is basically my first time ever using a squatty potty, which and is insane. You're too tall, though. You're this you're is that's what Jack thinks is your the problem. Legs so here's what happens: squatty potty. One, exactly the toilets in this new place are a little bit lower than a normal toilet. So already with the length of my legs, yeah. Just sitting on the toilet. Jack is 6'4". I'm probably know in the like. position that most people are in when they use a squatty potty. Right. So, so then now when I'm you adding add to that. <laughs> so your legs are, your knees are up to your, yes. the top of your head. Yes, Justin. And did believe me, they were there. <laughs> I sit down and here's what I'm feeling. I sit down on the squatty potty and I think to myself, this doesn't feel good. <laughs> And I'm trying to go, and I'm thinking, as I'm doing this, I'm thinking, this can't be right. This can't be the way a squatty potty is supposed to work. But I did it. I strained through it, and I got the job done. Two days later, I got a weird feeling down there. That's all he will talk about. And that weird feeling is still freaking there, and I... From the fucking squatty potty. So but I'm you, sorry, listeners, if this is gross, but people need to hear this. Be careful on those things. If you're a tall flower like me, be careful but the vibe, on the squatty potty. The vibe. I'm not with you in the bathroom, but the vibe that I get from you is that you probably do strain off. No, I'm not. I'm really not a strainer. You're not a strainer. This is my very first one, mm-hmm. and it bothers me. I so don't like it. What's the solution? Cream. So there's a turd asteroid. <laughs> just, just. So, 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 so Rico calls his parents and he's like, I'm coming home. And they're like, sweet, come on home, baby. We love you. Oh, where? There's a shadow going over us. What's going on? <laughs> All of a sudden, 
He's making his way back to the to the spaceship to fly home, and all the the soldiers start running. The devastation we are seeing is unparalleled. Judging from early estimates, millions dead, a city in ruins. Is that Geneva? Goddamn bugs whacked his job. The meteor was shot out of orbit by bug plasma that derived from Clendathu, the arachnid's home planet. His parents are dead, and so now he has nothing to go back to. And he chooses to stay because now they're going to war. Now training is officially over. They are going to fight the bugs and people are excited to fight the bugs. But again, we don't know if the bugs actually did this because we are taking it from the propaganda that they are being fed. So for all we know, the Federation blew up Buenos Aires and broadcasted that the bugs did it. True. Uh, And we finally get our full on big first big like bug attack battle. I think this scene is great, which I think they're trying to do like a Saving Private Ryan kind of sequence. They, it's long, it's very gory. We get to see tons of people just ripped to shreds by these bugs. Well, didn't this come out before Saving Private Ryan? He's doing World War II. He's wow, doing yeah, the invasion right. of Normandy. You're right, you know? so I can't say that yeah. they were, yeah, you're right, they weren't mimicking. Maybe maybe Spielberg was, was ripping from Starship Dude, Troopers. They're both ripping from World War II. <laughs> no, I think Spielberg was ripping from Starship Troopers. But really quickly, one thing, one piece of trivia that I did see, before Paul Verhoeven made Robocop, Spielberg had seen his, his Dutch movies, and he suggested him to George Lucas to direct Return of the Jedi. Wow. And George Lucas said, that guy's too edgy. He's too, mm-hmm. he, his movies are too... Let's call Lynch. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do the guy who did Eraserhead, yeah. the elephant man. Um, <laughs> they start fighting bugs pretty frequently now. They have a, like a celebratory party. The Roughnecks all have this big party out there. Is this one him and Dizzy? What? Yes. So the scene starts with Michael Ironside, again, being a cool dude. He's a good teacher and he's a good leader in the military. I expect the best, therefore I give the best. Exactly. And he pulls out a big old keg of beer. Mm-hmm. And then pulls out like a toy box, mm-hmm. a big old box filled with like footballs and, and soccer balls. He starts throwing around. And he goes, have fun. That's an order. Mm-hmm. And also in this box of balls is a neon violin, mm-hmm. a neon green violin that's just, I guess, just there for Jake Busey. Just for Jake. And what's interesting about this scene, the song that Jake Busey plays is I Wish I Was in Dixieland which is a conservative anthem that Confederates embraced as their essentially national anthem during the Civil War. Mm-hmm. So with that, that particular choice of song that Jake Busey is playing, Verhoeven is drawing a direct line to right-wing Confederacy. Finally, within this party sequence, Rico and Dizzy decide they're going to get it on. I think this is a pretty sexy scene. It's super mm-hmm. sexy. There's a the, there's the t-shirt surprises. It's a good detail. You don't see that often. Yeah, he starts to pull off her t-shirt, mm-hmm. but then stops when it's like just covering her eyes. Mm-hmm. Little sadomasochism. Even though it's just a t-shirt over the eyes, but her mm-hmm. arms are up, so she's a little bit handcuffed by the shirt. Mm-hmm. And it's after this scene that the movie drops off for me. Yeah, I do think we could fast forward because uh-huh. it yeah. is like just so a basically lot of fighting and yeah, that's the, I think the problem with the movie. And by the way, there's still like 
30 plus minutes of the movie left. And it's basically and just the them problem. firefighting with bugs over and over again. Yeah. Or remember the Alamo scene? The, the the only thing to really point out in any of this is that they end up discovering that the bugs are sucking brains out of the soldiers because they're trying to learn about the humans. And there's a, just a funny line where they discover it and, and Michael Ironside goes, They sucked his brains out. And yeah, we get introduced to a lot more bugs. Some of them spit fire. Some of them fly and decapitate people. Uh, and then Dizzy gets mortally wounded and Rico holds her as she dies. And she says to him, Johnny, I'm dying. I'm dying. No, you're going to be all right, Diz. It's all right. Because I got to have you. And it is like a pretty harrowing little scene because then she starts being like, Johnny, Johnny, don't let me go. Johnny, don't let me go. Don't, 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 don't. Sad. I was devastated when I saw this for the first time. It's like, you cannot. In the dollar theater. I paid $1 for this movie. You can't mm-hmm. kill the best character in the movie, but you that's know, what you told your parents. They can't kill Dizzy. Yeah. I left the theater crying and my parents said, do you want to go? And I said, nope, take me back. Take me back for round two. <laughs> we get revealed that Neil Patrick Harris has now become like a high ranking officer. And this reveal is hysterical because he comes walking into the room and he is just straight up dressed like a Nazi. Mm-hmm. And Neil Patrick Harris said that Paul Verhoeven did not communicate to any of the actors, any of the subtext of the movie. Any of the irony, because Fairhoven didn't want them to know. They, he wanted them to play it as straight as possible. So he didn't really want to, he didn't have any interest in talking to the actors about like, this movie's actually a critique on fascism. But Neil Patrick Harris said that he was getting the vibes of it, reading the script. And he read the book as well. And he was like, I was familiar with RoboCop. He was like, I knew what Verhoeven was all about. But he said it was when he did the wardrobe fitting for his character. And they brought out the wardrobe for this particular look that he was like, oh, okay. I see exactly what's going on here. I know exactly what to do. Yeah, he's smart. He's smart. He did say that like he tried to talk about it with some of the other cast and they were like, what? We're just making a little space adventure no. movie. So a lot of them didn't <laughs> didn't know. Denise Richards and Xander end up crash landing in the bug cave and we get the reveal of the bug that has been sucking the brains out, which they call the brain bug. We end up seeing how this this brain bug works. It pulls up Xander on his hands and knees and it pulls out this like tentacle from its forehead and it stabs it into the top of Xander's head and sucks his brains out, which in turn sort of deflates his entire face. And mm. I think it looks spectacular. It's awesome. His eyes roll in the back. His of eyes his roll head. up. And also too, that's like, that is the only catharsis the film gives you of like, he's sort of a bad guy. Yeah. Because he stole the, the you know, I don't know. He's the rival, I guess, of Casper Van Dien. But yeah. Um, yeah, I remember being rooting for that. Like, yes, mm-hmm. he got yeah. what he deserved. It's good. Casper Van Dien comes in with the troops. And then when they finally drag out this brain bug, Neil Patrick Harris goes up to it. And they're like, what is it thinking? What is it thinking? And so he basically reads this brain bug's mind. And he goes, it's afraid. It's afraid. <laughs> And they all cheer. They're all the victory is that they've struck fear in the yeah. hearts of these bugs. Yeah. And that's it's dark. The climax of the film. Yeah. And they show, you know, there's like more propaganda uh, where they're probing it and, and fucking with it. And you feel you do feel bad for this bug because they're treating it like a tortured animal, essentially. Yeah, it's awful. And yeah, you get one final propaganda commercial that says like 
we need you to join because we have to keep fighting, but mm-hmm. we will keep fighting and they will win. Mm-hmm. And it, it ends on the it's disturbing roll credits. Roll credits. With that great roll Basil Pal Doris mm-hmm. music that has tinges of Robocop. And that's when the movie sings. Was when that score comes in, mm-hmm. I'm like in for the movie. It's great. I like the score. Yeah. Well, we're going to take one more break and we'll be right back with our final thoughts on Starship Troopers. And we are back with Cinema Possessed, and we are talking final thoughts on Starship Troopers. Corey, I'm going to go to you. What are your final thoughts on Starship Troopers? I think it's definitely a movie worth watching if you've never seen it. I think, I mean, I've said it multiple times already, but I think it is more interesting to talk about than necessarily to watch. I think the first half is really fun. The second half is hard for me, like hard to even stay awake if you're watching it at night. Right. It's a long Um, movie, too. It's It's over. It's two hours and 10 minutes. Yeah. I appreciate what it is. But it's not my favorite of his movies, for sure. Is there a uh, Denise Richards movie that you would recommend over Starship Wild Troopers? Things, a million times. That movie is so good. I want us to do it on the pod so bad. Would I love think to. it's so much fun. I think it gets such a bad rap, and she gets a bad rap, and I think she's so great in that movie. Yeah, I think Wild Things is similar in that it's a movie that I think is much smarter than people gave it credit for. I think Showgirls, too. I think Showgirls is for also sure. much smarter than people gave it credit Richard for. But if you're talking Denise Richards roles. But Denise Richards, yeah. Uh, I also and- think Catch Denise Richards in Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, she's a freaking star. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Justin, final thoughts. What do you feel about Starship Troopers now that we've talked it out? And what are you going to do with that blue and that DVD? There's no doubt in my mind this movie is an absolute total masterpiece from start to finish. I love every minute of it. I don't care that it drags at the end. Uh, Most action sci-fi movies drag at the end. I can't think of one that doesn't. I'm grateful that a triple A, B movie like this exists. I think it's smarter than everybody gives it credit for. Yes, the cast is dull, but also the cast just works for me with what Verhoeven's doing. Um, I miss this era of Hollywood where a movie can be $100 million and not be based off Star Wars or a Marvel property. And it's just one of a kind. I can't deny this as a guilty pleasure that I feel confident I don't need to feel guilty about. Yeah, It's like eating candy, but it has substance behind it. And yes, there's flaws. And yes, there might be some failures to be had. But I think it's better to swing for the fences and try something and fail right. then and, and have nobody get it. I don't consider that a win. If everybody gets it, there's yeah. compromises to mm-hmm, be made. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I appreciate it for what it is. I've loved it from the first time I saw it till today. And I'm keeping my super bit. I have new respect for super bit. Mm-hmm. And I'm keeping the 4K Blu-ray just for the special features. But I am disappointed in the quality of that 4K UHD disc. So, oh. yeah. Well, I got to agree with you. I think there's no other movie like this. This is a very unique movie. Uh, And I agree that the swing of it is completely admirable. 
And I think that this movie is very intellectually stimulating. I would I would take a I would take a class course on this movie because I think it has that much to offer. But as I said before, I think RoboCop does a lot of this stuff better. I think it a movie like RoboCop doesn't alienate people because it is still at the end of the day a satisfying action film, but if you dig deep and you start to shed the layers, I think it's just as substantive as this. It's just not doing the gimmick that this one is doing, which I think in some ways, as much as I admire it, is holding the movie back a little bit for me. But I would never judge anybody for it. And I still think it's a great film. And there's no way I'm letting go of this Blu-ray. I think it's necessary, Verhoeven. I'm glad he did it. And knowing that he needed to have a hit, knowing that he needed to make a movie that needed to make money, but at the same time still being like, I'm still going to fuck with people with it. And I'm still going to make a statement with it. You can't ask for a better director than that. Mm -hmm. So I love the film for that, uh, even though I have certain issues with it. Well, now that we've said everything there is to say about Starship Troopers, what do you say we play? The Starship Troopers Quiz! Cool. <laughs> this is not multiple choice. You just have to know the freaking answer, all right? I... Question number one. Casper Van Dien shares his first name with a certain friendly ghost who is portrayed by what teenage actor? Corey. In a 1995 film. Corey. Corey. Devin Sawa. Yes, sir! You got it! Points for Corey. Question number two. Starship Troopers was Denise Richards' first starring role in a wide theatrical release film. But a few years earlier, she starred alongside Paul Walker in this wacky, low-budget sci-fi romance about a teenage boy whose brain is transplanted into the head of a robot dinosaur. <laughs> nope. Not even a clue. No clue! No clue. Oh. All right. No! It's called Tammy and the T-Rex. I want I've to heard see of it. it. I've heard of it. That sounds hilarious. I've heard those words together. Paul Walker, Denise Richards, wild movie. Wild. Question number three. Gemini man Jake Busey was born on June 15th, 1971 and shares a birthday with celebrities Helen Hunt, who came up earlier in the podcast, Ice Cube, and Courtney Cox, and which of his fellow Starship Trooper co-stars? Does he share a birthday with? We're just guessing who he shares a birthday with? That's right. <laughs> the actress who plays Dizzy. No! Denise Richards? No! Neil Patrick Harris. Yes, sir! Wow. Shares a birthday with Neil. Both of them are on June 15th. Cool. <laughs> Speaking of Neil, Neil Patrick Harris was only 16 when he booked the role of this teenage doctor. Justin Doogie Hauser. Yes, sir! Doogie Hauser, MD. So, Corey has... Two. Two. Justin has one. Mm-hmm. Final question? Nope. Speaking of Hauser, Paul Walter Hauser <laughs> appeared in the 2018 sequel to What American Comedy with a similar title to the film we just discussed. What's that movie? 2018 with, sequel to What what's American the movie Comedy? Where they're like on the like a road trip kind of movie, but it's like like um, Troopers, something Troopers. Oh, Super Justin Super Troopers. Yes, sir. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> two to two. I'll tie I'll game. Share that point yeah, with you, thanks. Corey. No sharing points. <laughs> Question well, number we six. We're sharing no matter what. Super Troopers 
was directed by and starred J. Chandrashekar, mm-hmm. who revealed in his autobiography that this legendary movie star gave him a burned DVD on the first day of filming titled, This Is Why My Back Hurts, oh, um, which contained a decade-spanning compilation of all the actors' on-screen stunts. Corey. Burt Reynolds? Yes, sir! Okay, three points for Corey, two points for Justin. Yeah, that's interesting, right? Huh. Why Why did Burt Reynolds do Basically that? to say, I'm not going to do what you want me to do, and this is why, because my back hurts. You should do that, Justin. <laughs> he basically described that it was like something he gives every new director, especially young ones, I think, on the first day of filming. Like, watch this, and you will understand why I'm grumpy. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. All right, final question. Burt Reynolds famously turned down the role of James Bond, believing an American could not play the role. But he also turned down the role of another character that would later be made famous by Harrison Ford. Justin, Nijim, uh, Indiana Jones. <laughs> no! Oh. Oh. Justin, Han Solo. Yes, sir! Wow. <laughs> Burt Reynolds turned down both those roles? Wow. Well, he, he didn't turn down Indiana Jones. He turned down Han Solo and he turned down James right, Bond. Right, right. Han Solo is a crazy one to turn down. Thanks for listening. <laughs> and that, my friends, is the show. Follow us on social media at Cinema Possessed Pod, where we announce next week's movie ahead of time. And if you want to get in touch with us, email us at cinemapossessedpod at gmail.com. And if you want to get even more possessed, head on over to patreon.com slash cinemapossessedpod and unlock the Cinema Possessed bonus materials. Those are our bi-monthly bonus episodes where we talk about more than just what's in our collection. What did we talk about last week? No, we talked about Spike Lee. And before that, we talked about Creed. And then before that, we talked about Knock at the Cabin. See, we were talking about new movies, old movies, all sorts of stuff. Guys, you're missing out if you're not joining the Patreon. Plus, you'll gain exclusive access to Patreon-only giveaways and community message boards. And you'll get a chance to get the DVDs that we let go of. We didn't do that today, but we did it on the last episode. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. And as always, guys, keep watching the movies you love and stay possessed. Oh, wait, Justin, what are we watching next week? Next week, we are watching Sam Raimi's 1981 horror classic, The Evil Dead. Spooky. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Later. Later. Yeah.